Yes, the growing multimedia empire from Mark Crislop over at edgy.com presents another Quackcast. This one is the 179th, and it's called Acupuncture Traditional Chinese Pseudo-Medicine Crap Fest. As I get older, I get more grumpy. Issues that at one time I was rather sanguine about now irritate the hell out of me. It is not like when I started practice, information was hard to come by. Going through the Index Medicus with the world's tiniest font, wandering the stacks looking for papers, sending off for reprints, getting a precious Xerox or even a mimeograph of a classic paper from an attending. You understood the value of eminence-based medicine as it took a career to acquire and master the literature. You relied on the wisdom of old geezers like me who had decades of experience in reading and massive piles of papers. That was then. Now, the world's information is available almost instantaneously. You may not be able to master a new topic spending a day on Google and PubMed, but you can acquire a reasonable understanding, especially if you have some background in the area. Because of Google and PubMed, the only reason for ignorance of your area of expertise in medicine or time, laziness, or stupidity. As a specialist, only time is an excuse. It is my job to keep up with the infectious disease literature. Although with over 10,000 articles a year, it is impossible to read everything. But if I have a question concerning patient care, I need to look it up. I have another blog over at Medscape whose entire reason is looking up answers to the daily questions that arise in my ID practice. On the characteristics of a useful clinical trial. So the characteristics of a useful clinical trial are not hard to determine. Randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled, adequately powered. Because you want to avoid spending time and money on a study only to end up with no useful conclusions. This is especially important with acupuncture, where it does not matter what kind of acupuncture is used, if needles are used, where the needles are placed, or even if you mime acupuncture or perform acupuncture on a rubber hand. The key features for success in acupuncture are belief by the patient that they are receiving acupuncture and that the patient believes that acupuncture will be effective. And the stronger the belief, the better the subjective response. Those characteristics of acupuncture in clinical trials are not hard to discover. If you want to do a rigorous study of acupuncture, it has to be placebo-controlled, double-blind, and you need to assess both the belief in acupuncture and the adequacy of blinding. And they never do that. Probably because deep in their hearts, they know that quality studies will not support their particular scam. So the current buzzword is pragmatic, which the OED defines as not wishing to do a quality study that will not support my pseudoscientific belief. There have been a gaggle of bad acupuncture studies in the last few months. Well, a few years. Well, a few decades. It is apparent that those who do acupuncture research have zero interest in doing a quality study. So let's look at the few awful studies. Prepare for an acupuncture crap fest. Acupuncture is theatrical placebo, specifically Peter Pan. Acupuncture, as has been mentioned so many times, is theatrical placebo. But what theatrical performance? 
I tend towards tragedy, mostly Macbeth. It is a tale told by an acupuncturist, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. But perhaps I should consider Peter Pan as a more apt metaphor. Remember when Tinkerbell had a chronic wing pain and was getting acupuncture and it didn't appear to be effective? And Peter turns to the audience and says, Do you believe in acupuncture? If you believe, clap your hands. Don't let Tink hurt. And everybody clapped their hands and Tink's pain went away for a while. You don't? I do. Well, there is a Tinkerbell effect where, quote, things that are thought to exist only because people believe in them. That describes the effect of acupuncture perfectly. There are multiple studies that have demonstrated that patients who believe in the efficacy of acupuncture are those most likely to have an effect, and that the stronger the belief, the stronger the effect. And that the placebo effect is significant. Quote, when compared to weightless standard care or no treatment, the effect size of acupuncture is moderate, around 0.5, meaning that a large part of the acupuncture effect is due to placebo elements. Now there is another study to show that the theater that is acupuncture is indeed Peter Pan. The study is Response to Placebo Acupuncture in Insomnia, a secondary analysis of three randomized clinical trials. The study, quote, conducted a post hoc analysis of three randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trials of acupuncture for primary insomnia and residual insomnia in depressed patients. The aim of the exploratory analysis is to determine patient characteristics that are predictive of a response to non-invasive placebo acupuncture for insomnia. And it was the belief in acupuncture that was important in responding to placebo acupuncture. Quote, higher expectation toward acupuncture was associated with greater placebo response. Belief is why it doesn't matter where the needles are placed, if the needles are placebo if toothpicks are used, if acupuncture is mimed, or if acupuncture is done on a rubber hand. The effects are the same as long as you believe you are getting acupuncture, and you believe it will work. It is also why any acupuncture study is a waste of time if it does not include a sham slash placebo intervention, reporting if blinding was successful, and reporting of the beliefs of the patients in the intervention. If you don't do that, you will not know why Tink got better. The ongoing decline of quality in the annals of internal medicine. Not like the annals are paying any attention in the studies that they publish. As an example, there is Alexander Technique Lessons or Acupuncture Sessions for Persons with Chronic Neck Pain, a randomized trial. Patients with chronic neck pain were randomized to, quote, 12 acupuncture sessions, or 20 one-on-one -on -one Alexander sessions, both 600 minutes total, plus usual care versus usual care alone. Sham comparison for acupuncture? Nope. Belief in interventions determined? Nope. And so you would expect patients to get better with the intervention when compared to usual care. That is what always occurs. Spend extra time, in this case an extra 10 hours, and energy with the patient with a subjective problem, and you would expect them to report improvement compared to usual care, and usual care usually sucks. And given that the authors are members of the British Acupuncture Society, the results are obviously part of big acupuncture, or potentially subject to significant bias. You know the motto, go to Midas, get a muffler.
and so much for holistic care. Neck pain is a symptom of some underlying process. We have no idea what these patients had. It is like a study that evaluated antibiotic for fever. And what kind of acupuncture? The methods state, quote, acupuncture practice was based on traditional Chinese medical theory, encompassing acupuncture-specific diagnostic explanations and related lifestyle advice. Hmm, that seems like quite the nonspecific intervention. You really need to look at the table in the appendix, which is found at the bottom of a locked filing cabinet stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard where you will find that they use between 5 and 35 needles per session, an average of 14, with 259 acupuncture points used that were left in the patient between 1 and 60 minutes, with an average of 20 minutes. And they could use moxibustion, electroacupuncture, ear seeds, cupping, acupressure, and heat lamps. And they could give advice relating to exercise, relations, diet, and rest. And then they say it's the acupuncture that led to the improvement with that many potential interventions? Really? Color me skeptical. This is what passes for peer review these days over at the annals. Peer review as in peer to look at. I imagine some old person peering over the top of their glasses saying, that appears to be an acupuncture paper. Let's publish it. Or in this case, publish it. P-U-B-L-I-S-H-I-T. My new neodilism for the production of scam papers. You can email me if you want volume discounts. So the results of the study are what we would expect, inconsistent with every acupuncture study that does not control for bias. It is, like all studies, telling me nothing about the efficacy of acupuncture and was a waste of time and resources. The summary for the patients says, quote, both acupuncture and Alexander Technique lessons may provide long-term relief from chronic neck pain and associated disability. Not. I have come to the conclusion that when it comes to scam papers, those who review them never really seem to read them with anything that even remotely approaches a critical eye. Dr. Edzard Ernst said in a response to this article, I am truly surprised that a top journal like the Annals of Internal Medicine decided to publish it. Sorry, I disagree, Dr. Ernst. As a practicing internist, I have to say that the Annals has been slipping for years with a long history of publishing gullible studies on pseudoscience. So much so that they have lost at least one N in my mind. Non-falsifiable. It has often been noted that pseudomedicines are immune to data. Practices are never abandoned or changed because the information suggests a lack of efficacy or safety. Pseudomedicines, as a recent U.S. news article suggests, do not really require data to support them, which is good for its proponents because such data does not exist. They are satisfied with anecdote, knowing that it works. However, when a study is done that fails to show efficacy of a pseudomedicine such as acupuncture, it is always interesting to watch the authors squirm and try and rationalize away their negative results. No one has ever done a negative study and says, looks like acupuncture is useless for this condition. Stop using it. 
that would require a bit of honesty about what is probably a wasted career in acupuncture. As two recent examples, there is short-term effect of laser acupuncture on lower back pain, a randomized placebo-controlled double-blind trial. In reality-based medicine, there is no reason to think laser acupuncture would do anything, and it doesn't. When compared to sham laser acupuncture, quote, there was no significant difference in outcomes between the two groups. When an intervention is equal to placebo, in reality-based medicine, we conclude that it has no efficacy. It is why, as an example, we abandoned internal mammary ligation for angina. But in the non-falsifiable world of pseudomedicine, quote, the results suggest that laser acupuncture can provide effective pain alleviation and can be considered an option for relief of lower back pain. Say what? Or take no effective acupuncture in relief of delayed onset muscle soreness, results of a randomized controlled trial. People received needle, laser, sham needle, sham laser acupuncture, or no intervention after exercise to see if there was any efficacy in treating muscle soreness. Nope, didn't work. And why should it? And the authors suggest, quote, from a mechanistic point of view, these results have implications for further studies. The traditional acupuncture regimen targeting muscle pain might have been appropriate as the DOMS mechanisms seem limited to the muscular unit and its intervention. Yeah, or maybe acupuncture does nothing and is inappropriate for any intervention. And as always, negative studies mean bigger, better studies need to be done. Quote, further studies using long-term intervention, a larger sample size, and rigorous methodology are required to clarify the effect of laser acupuncture on low back pain. Almost 50 years of clinical trials of acupuncture and still more studies need to be done. Only in the world of pseudomedicine are the results of yet another negative study used as an indication for further studies. No acupuncture on infants and children for China. If you have been a parent, you probably remember just how vulnerable newborns and young children are. I remain amazed we survived as a species before the advent of civilization. Crying babies at night must have been a signal for an all-you-can-eat buffet for predators on the veldt. Acupuncture has long been popular in China, but there are differences between its practice in the West and East as big needles, small bodies, the absence of acupuncture treatments for infants in contemporary Shanghai, a qualitative study, makes clear. At the Long Hao Hospital Acupuncture Clinic, it was noted that no infants and very few children were seen in the acupuncture clinic. They wondered why, and so conducted formal interviews and informal conversations with acupuncturists and other TCM professionals, which revealed that acupuncture was neither routinely practiced nor recommended for infants and small children. There was a variety of reasons for the lack of acupuncture in kids. Lack of experience, lack of recommendations, lack of textbooks and training, lack of a strong research base, the possibility of hurting the children, the availability of TCM alternatives such as herbal medicine, and the money and the system, as well as slipping confidence in acupuncture. But most interesting, quote, now patients take children to the Western Children's Hospital. 
there is trust in Western pediatrics. The vast majority of pediatric cases in Shanghai, particularly infants and toddlers, are treated at these hospitals. Those hospitals provide treatment for a range of illnesses, from minor ailments to chronic or life-threatening conditions. Western medical hospitals are widely regarded as the first choice by Shanghai's patients seeking assessment, consultation, and treatment for their children. When it comes to their children, patients in Shanghai appear to know that science-based, or Western as they call it, medicine delivers. This, unfortunately, is not always recognized by parents in the United States. And, as they note, not only is acupuncture not used in children, its use in the West is not based on either data or tradition in China. Quote, this study adds to the ongoing discussion on the evidence, utility, and limitations of acupuncture in children, as well as in medicine in general. Contrary to our observations in Shanghai, acupuncturists in the Western world encourage acupuncture for children, including infants. One rationale underpinning this trend is that acupuncture is widely considered in the West to be an integral part of TCM tradition for patients of all ages. According to our study, Western beliefs that acupuncture is routinely indicated and recommended for infants and small children within TCM are unfounded. Such beliefs may appear to be a Western interpretation and are not based on actual Chinese modern-day practices or therapeutic recommendations. Recent controlled trials investigating the efficacy of acupuncture treatment in the infant population yield conflicting results and little clear empirical evidence is available to support the use of acupuncture. As such, it appears that the rise of infant acupuncture in the West could partly be attributable to Western acupuncturists' own clinical observations and theoretical beliefs. In line with the principles of biomedical ethics, however, this study underscores that this rationale is insufficient to recommend a potentially harmful treatment for infants and small children who lack the competence to provide informed consent. No data for efficacy, no rationale within the context of TCM, potentially harmful and unethical. That sums up acupuncture in children for China. Now, if only doctors in the U.S. would pay attention. For example, when IRBs fail, babies suffer. I have been practicing medicine for 30 years, and I spend most of my time in acute care hospitals. So I am well acquainted with the many ways people can suffer. Being 58 years old, I have also had my share of medical problems that have caused a reasonable amount of pain and suffering. As a result, I have a list of processes I do not want to experience. At the top of the list is kidney stones, followed by a disc infection. Another disease on the list is opiate withdrawal. I always have a heroin addict or two under my care, with one infection or another from injection drug use, and going cold turkey looks miserable. The worst I am likely to experience, however, is caffeine withdrawal. There are children who are born to addicted mothers and after birth will go through withdrawal unless treated. Poor little things, their first experience in life is misery of withdrawal and they are unable to really ask for help. There is a horrible, unconvincing literature on using ear acupuncture for withdrawal in adults. The literature for children is even worse. Quote, 
This study, a painfully unnecessary attempt to determine the feasibility and efficacy of acupuncture in neonatal and pediatric intensive care unit patients at risk for withdrawal, was a complete waste of time. You cannot determine efficacy at all based on it, and question of feasibility was answered a long time ago. This study added nothing to our understanding of withdrawal or even acupuncture. Considering the reams of research showing there is no benefits associated with the insertion of needles into or pressing on particular points on the body beyond placebo, it should never have happened. The preponderance of the literature suggests that acupuncture is placebo and that it is belief in acupuncture that is the main predictor of a response. Newborns, of course, cannot have a belief in the efficacy of acupuncture, nor can they complain if they are suffering. So why, why, why would you treat babies going through withdrawal with acupuncture? Or even worse, laser acupuncture? Every time I see the phrase laser acupuncture, I think, really? You think that laser acupuncture will do something? And so it just flabbers my gaster that anyone with even a modicum of understanding thinks laser acupuncture would do anything. However, it didn't stop Laser Acupuncture for Neonatal Abstinence Syndrome, a Randomized Controlled Trial. So here is their reasoning. Ear acupuncture may help withdrawal in adults, so we will use laser acupuncture on five ear and four body acupuncture points on babies. All men die. Socrates was a man. All dead men are Socrates. That's the logic that's used. Why, oh why, would anyone who lives in reality would think that shining a red light on the skin would do anything for drug withdrawal? I wouldn't. And the reason that the authors think it would help? There isn't any. None. The best they can offer is that it would be safe. That's the level of reasoning behind this study. And the editors of Pediatrics accepted it as reasonable. More peer review. But there is zero plausible reason offered by the authors that laser acupuncture, an intervention almost more worthless and implausible than needle acupuncture, would help babies with addiction symptoms. And it did not stop the Ethics Committee of the Medical University of Graz from approving it. So children in withdrawal were assigned to laser acupuncture or control. There was no blinding or sham procedure, except that the whole study was a sham in the more conventional use of the word. The kids who received laser acupuncture had fewer drug treatment days, although they had the same Finnegan score, an objective and subjective measurement of withdrawal symptoms in children. So I read the study as newborns with equal amounts of withdrawal symptoms and suffering had less medications for their withdrawal as the staff thought they were being treated with laser acupuncture. And the laser-treated kids were just detoxed faster than their non-laser controls and probably suffered more. My wife, who worked for years in addictions, thinks this is a most reasonable explanation for the laser-treated children who were just detoxed more rapidly. Every time I read a pediatric acupuncture study, I realize just how broken the IRB system is when it comes to protecting vulnerable populations from being abused by pseudo-medical providers. Children and mice do not have a chance. There are 385 hits on the PubMeds for acupuncture mice, assuming 40 mice per study. 
I would wager that is a marked underestimate that does not include all the mice used in establishing models and in failed studies that never got published. I am not a PETA person, but that is 15,400 mice essentially being abused trying to prove traditional Chinese pseudomedicine, TCPM, is effective. Guidelines for ethical animal research state, quote, there should be a reasonable expectation that the research will provide results that will benefit the health and welfare of humans or other animals. The scientific purpose of the research should be sufficient potential significance to justify the use of non-human animals. Given that in humans, acupuncture is placebo, based on concepts divorced from reality, I would say that any acupuncture research in animals is by definition unethical. The animal welfare committees do not seem to be doing their job at numerous facilities. But then, why would you expect ethical treatment of animals when we can't even protect our newborns from jaw-droppingly stupid studies? Take laser acupuncture before heel lancing for pain management in healthy term newborns, a randomized controlled trials. Neonatologists those tasked with taking care of newborn babies. From a university in Turkey, these were academic physicians actually thinking that, quote, acupuncture is a new non-pharmacological method for preventing pain in newborns. But not just acupuncture, laser acupuncture. So a laser was, quote, applied to the yang-tang point using a laser premio 30 unit for 30 seconds. The yang-tang point, just so you know, is midway between the medial ends of the eyebrows. Yes, they actually thought that shooting a child between the eyes with a low-level laser, at least the laser does have wobulation, would help decrease the pain from a needle stick. Surprise! Low-level lasers and acupuncture, two interventions totally divorced from reality, were judged, quote, less effective than oral sucrose for reducing the discomfort of this procedure. Who would have thought? I mean, besides anyone with even the barest understanding of medicine, physiology, and physics. Certainly not those responsible for review of the research. This nonsense was approved by an IRB whose ostensible task is to look out for the well-being of research subjects. I suppose IRB should now stand for Ineffective Review Board, Incompetent Review Board, Inadequate Review Board. Mice and children, they don't have a chance of being protected from the investigation of magical pseudomedicine. BS, blood stasis syndrome. I receive a lot of push notifications from Google and PubMed covering a variety of pseudomedical topics. There is a phenomenal amount of research coming out of China that I would perhaps classify as basic pseudoscience, not unlike the basic science of reality-based medicine. What they do is apply modern techniques and measurements to traditional Chinese pseudomedicine, trying to validate their ancient pseudoscience. I am sure the recent Nobel Prize will lead to further encouragement of this process, like that of blood stagnation, BS. Today I saw one of my patient's charts and they had the diagnosis of key deficiency in blood stagnation as a reason for the acupuncture. Don't get me started. It was very dispiriting to see ancient nonsense in the EMR as if it were actually meaningful. 
I knew that it was really a problem with too much phlegm, and the patient needed to be bled with leeches. But would they listen to me? No. At least key and blood stagnation don't have ICD-9 codes, even if acupuncture does. The theory of TCPM, including key and meridians, with diagnosis based on tongue and pulse evaluation, was developed without the benefit of understanding anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, microbiology, etc. You know, the basic sciences that are the foundations of medicine. Because of that, TCPM is not grounded in reality, and this results in a most peculiar literature, such as, quote, practical diagnostic criterion of blood stasis syndrome. Introduction, Reliability, and Validity. What, you may ask, is BS? You know, blood stagnation. The other question is way too open-ended when directed at TCPM. My first hit on Google says, quote, Simply put, it means the flow of blood is slowed down and brought to a static state. We call that clot in medicine. Normally, blood is stored in the liver. What? And propelled by the heart key to flow through the body. And here I thought it was ventricular contractions of the heart. Quote, if blood circulation is stagnant or slowed down by certain factors, it will lead to retention of blood in any part of the body or overflow of blood out of its vessels, resulting in blood stasis? Huh? There are nouns and verbs and all the other parts of grammar, but that sentence has no content that maps to reality. As another author writes, quote, note for students, the liver stores blood. When a person moves, blood goes to the channels. When at rest, it goes to the liver. When you're asleep or resting, the blood collects and is stored in the liver. When you're active, the blood is sent out to nourish and moisten the muscles. Students of what, I don't know. Gibberish? but I would hope that they are not involved with patient care. And I don't think they are speaking metaphorically, which is really sad and nicely demonstrates just how far removed from reality the BS in TCPM really is. In TCPM, BS is bad. Quote, if blood stasis occurs within the body, known as blood stasis syndrome, BSS, characteristic symptoms such as pain in the flex position, nictalgia, dark purple coloring of the tongue and face, infraorbital darkness, sublingual varicosis, blood spots under the skin and tongue, or an astringent pulse can manifest. In clinical practice, many diseases include these signs and symptoms, such as ischemic heart disease, cerebrovascular accidents, diabetes mellitus, chronic gastritis, chronic renal failure, chronic hepatitis, trauma, and dysmenorrhea. Almost total nonsense. The manifestation of blood stasis are numerous. BS can evolve any organ. BS is disease as metaphor, although practitioners of BS do not think so, even though as practitioners don't even know what BS is. Quote, of 678 respondents, more than half had difficulties with the diagnosis of BS because objective measurement methods were not readily available. Most respondents thought that the development of an objective diagnostic method for BS was necessary. Many researchers are trying to shoehorn BS into vascular diseases such as angina and lipid disorders. It is too bad that I only have access to the abstracts as the originals are in Chinese because I really want to know more about 
phlegm stasis cementation syndrome in mini swine. I mean, really, who knew that, quote, the interaction of phlegm, blood stasis, and toxic syndromes helps promote the progress and development of AS plaques, which is the key pathogenesis of phlegm stasis cementation syndrome in coronary heart disease. Like so much of TCPM research, time and money is being devoted to validate with modernity BS concepts that are fundamentally grounded in fantasy. Tongue acupuncture reigns supreme. There are innumerable forms of acupuncture, perhaps as many as there are practitioners. But which acupuncture is best? Now there is a hint in the treatment of post-stroke dysphagia. They randomized patients into a tongue acupuncture group and a regular acupuncture group. And they found that tongue acupuncture was better. Quote, on the basis of the conventional medication, tongue acupuncture would effectively improve the swallow functions, decrease the neurological deficit, and reduce the incidence of pneumonia in patients with post-stroke dysphagia. Which is what one would expect because, quote, traditional Chinese medicine holds post-stroke dysphagia is pathogenesis of blocking meridians by the wind, fire, phlegm, blood stasis. Diseases in brain are related to the spleen, kidney, and heart. Tongue is closely related to Zhang Fu organs through the channels and collaterals directly or indirectly. By needling the tongue, the heart, spleen, kidney meridian awake the brain, dredge the bullishness, and finally improve the swallowing functions. Dredge the bullishness. Well, they're dredging up something with acupuncture studies. It isn't bullishness, but close enough. I suspect there may have been a slight misspelling during translation. And that ends the 179th Quackcast. Wander on over to edgydoc.com to find links to my growing multimedia empire. Thanks for listening. Bye.